0: These are the signs by which I will guide you in your quest, said the lion. First, as soon as the boy Eustace sets foot in Narnia, he will meet an old and dear friend. He must greet that friend at once. If he does, you will both have good help. Second, you must journey out of Narnia to the north till you come to the ruined city of the ancient giants. Third, you must find a writing on a stone in that ruined city, and you must do what that writing tells you. Fourth, you will know the lost prince, if you find him, by this, that he will be the first person you have met in your travels who will ask you to do something in my name, in the name of Aslan. But the first step is to remember Repeat to me in order the four signs. Jill tried and didn't quite get them right. So the lion corrected her and made her repeat them again and again till she could say them perfectly. The voice behind her said, Stand still. In a moment I will blow. But first, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning, and when you lie down at night, and when you wake in the middle of the night, and whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your minds from following the signs. Remember the signs and believe the signs, nothing else matters. And now, daughter of Eve, farewell. You might recognize this. This is an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's The Silver Chair. And much like this story, we're going to discover today instruction from our passage that will um, help us to remember and teach at all costs. We're arriving here at the end of our series. We've been in a series on the law that God gave to Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, Newt, uh, Numbers, and now we're in Deuteronomy. And it's been a really fascinating journey as we've grown to understand the law originally given and even think deeply about how it applies to us today as people of the New Covenant. So like I said, today we are finishing up, we are in Deuteronomy, and we are in a great big sermon that was given by Moses Moses is standing on the edge of the promised land that he is not going to get to enter himself. And he is speaking to a crowd of people who did not experience the same things that he did. They don't have living memory of things like the exodus or having been at Mount Sinai to hear God speak the law. And the older generation is gone. The older generation is dead, buried in the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years on account of their lack of love and obedience to God, their lack of obedience to enter the promised land. The name Deuteronomy means second law, at least that's the Greek of it. And um, it refers to the sense that Moses is retelling the law to this next generation in the story of where it came from, this generation that didn't experience it firsthand. Deuteronomy is like one great big sandwich. It's got three parts. The first part, the bread, that's Moses giving a long sermon. In the middle, the meat, that's the law. He re-says the law that he gave in Exodus. And the final piece of bread is more sermon from Moses. He probably gives this all in one day. Might have taken multiple hours. We're going to focus our time on that first chunk, that first piece of bread, Uh, part of Moses' sermon, gleaning parts from Deuteronomy 6 through 8. It includes something that we commonly refer to as the great commandment or the greatest commandment. And I think it's a perfect ending for our law series, as love, the fulfillment of the law itself. Here's where we're going to go today. We're going to discover that Moses' great commandment sermon to the wilderness generation has powerful and relevant instruction for us today. Or let me put it another way. Here's the three things we're going to cover. We're going to cover the great command itself. We're going to look at two threats to the great command. And then we're going to look at the remedy for failing at the great command. So the great command, two threats, and the remedy for failing at it. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to open up the Bible. So go ahead, bow your heads with me, and let's, let's ask the Lord's help. God, it is such an honor to draw near to you, to actually claim, and it to be true, that we can be close to God, the same one that he revealed himself to these people a few thousand years ago. God, I pray that you would do what you do best, that you would do something miraculous this morning, that in the midst of speaking and hearing, that you would allow our hearts to change. You know where each one of us is at. We're coming in in different places of encouragement or discouragement, um, loneliness, fear. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd meet each one of us where we're at And help us today to walk away more in love with Jesus than we are right now. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, I encourage you to grab that Bible in front of you. Open it up, and we're going to go to page 151. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you, for those on the live stream, I encourage you to go grab supplies. We're going to partake in communion together at the end of the sermon. Page 151. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that's what we'll do for now. This command that we just read at the end is known as the Shema. The Shema being the Hebrew word for the very first part of the command to hear. And Uh, To this day, it is recited frequently by present-day Jews. It covered a very important concept, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That could be a whole sermon in and of itself. I won't get to give that sermon today. We're going to have a slightly different theme. um, But rather, I would like to ask the question, what makes this entire command so special? What makes this one so unique? Out of all the commands, what, 613 in the Old Testament, uh, what makes this one so special? And I'll give you five reasons this command is is so unique. The first one is the context. You remember what I said moments ago, that this command was given to the next generation of those who had left Egypt, who were going to the promised land, and yet there was a question of, would they really obey and follow God? The older generation had failed. They had seen God. They'd seen the miraculous hand of God. They had seen him provide in the wilderness. And yet when it came to entering the promised land, they distrusted him. And they, they rebelled throughout the whole way. And so the context of this shows there's something important. Moses' final words to this next generation, will they get it? Will they love God with all their heart? Will they stay true to him like a bride is to her husband? Another thing that makes it unique is the repeated theme. You remember I told you that the book of Deuteronomy is like a sandwich. We've got sermon over here, sermon over here, and law in the middle. All of Moses' sermon is like it's on repeat. It's the same theme developed in different ways of loving God, of being true to Him, of worshiping Him, of not going after idols. And He says it again and again and again. Something else that makes it st- uh, stand out is the target and the scope of this command. You'll notice that the instruction is heart-centric and it's life-encompassing. Travis mentioned this during the worship time that, we, that uh, they were called to have these words where? Where? On their heart, These words were to be on their heart, a Hebrew word that means the entirety of one's will and mind and emotions, the center control of who they are. And he told them that they were to love God with their heart and soul and might, unless you try to parcel those out and try to figure out what all of them are. It's a phrase that's saying the entirety of all of who they are all of their life, all of their time, all of their emotions, all their passions, all their obedience. It's intended to be everything. And so this command is all of life, all of heart, all of who someone is. Another thing that makes it unique is the command to reteach and remember. To reteach and remember. The word for teach here is is uh, conveys the sense of repeating something, of repetition. It's literally the word for engraving something or sharpening a sword. And so it has to do with a repeated instruction. And so when it says that we are to instruct this word as we sit down and as we walk, as we lie down and then we rise, he's using a phrase that means from here to here, all of this. It's like if I were to say... Um, From the valleys to the mountaintops, you would have the sense, oh, okay, so you mean everything, that from there to there and everywhere in between. And so Moses is using these phrases. So not merely when you're sitting down, should you speak about the word, or not merely when you rise, but all the time, when you sit, when you leave, when you lie, when you rise and everywhere in between, this word should be on our mouths spoken to one another, specifically to the next generation. And he says to repeat it again and again. um, We often quote this verse, or we reference it when we talk about our Summit View Kids Ministry, a ministry to assist parents in discipling their kids. And so we encourage that the word should continually be on our lips and instructing the next generation day and night, everywhere we go. When you're in the middle of the drive to church and someone talks in the back of the van, that's a perfect time to have a deep theological discussion. And so Moses is instructing them to speak this word to them. He's saying this word literally, I mean this command itself, but by extension, all the words that he's saying in Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy is itself a summary of all of the Exodus story. So you could say all of Torah, all the first five books. But as we know, um, all of Scripture is good and profitable and so really all the scripture should be on our minds, on our hearts, and on our lips, speaking to the next generation. And so if we want to make disciples of the next generation, we want to see them love God, we must speak this day in and day out. Parents, are you doing this with your kids? All the different ages, from young to adult kids, are you speaking God's word over and over, repeating it so that your kids will love the Lord? Another thing that makes it unique is the ongoing reminders, and um, he said that you were to bind the words on your arm, your forehead, and on your house. Jews today, not then, but today, have taken this most literally with these. You've probably recognized them. This is called a tefillin in Hebrew or in Greek, phylacteries. You remember Jesus uh, spoke against these for those who had hypocritical hearts and were making these great big scripture things to put on their head to be proud and show everybody how spiritual they were. Um, Or um, on a doorpost, it's called a mezuzah. Um, These are examples of people taking this literally. But the command is to have the word continually reminded so that you don't forget God and you don't stop loving him. And finally, what is the last thing that makes this command so unique? Jesus himself elevated it. You guys will remember this. I'm going to read from Mark 12. You don't have to turn there, but this is Jesus talking about this scripture we just read. Mark 12:28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, the scribe asked him, "Which commandment is the most important of all? Out of all the 613, which one's the most important?" Maybe circumcision. Jesus answered, The most important is this, and he creaks, uh, quotes from the Septuagint, the Greek translation Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second um, is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. And the scribe kind of repeats it back. The scribe said to him, You're right, teacher you have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him and to love him with all heart and with all understanding, with all strength and to love one's neighbors, one's is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he affirmed his answer. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. And so we see Jesus elevate this command, affirming its importance. And so there are the five reasons why this command especially stands out. The other commands in the law, they still have value and purpose, but this one is the foundation on which all the other commands are built. Or you could say this command is the deepest answer to the question why for all of the rest of them. Moses understood that threatening situations were going to arise for these people, Things that would threaten their love for God, their ability to obey this command. And so in his impassioned speech, he's willing to warn them about two threats. The first threat being that of wilderness temptation. And I'll read it to you here. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 6, 16. This is Moses' warning. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded you. You recall this incident at Massa. You remember the people had gone out from the exodus. They had experienced God's miraculous hand. He let them get thirsty earlier, but then he provided water for them. And then yet again, they're thirsty and they're doubting God. And they Instead of trusting him, they put him in the judgment seat. They're ready to put God on trial because they don't think he's good. And there at this place called Massa, Moses strikes a rock with his staff and water pours out. The rock that was God himself abundantly provides for the people. Moses warned against this. Don't distrust God. Don't put him in the judgment seat. Don't put him to the test. The wilderness might tempt you that way, but instead you need to trust him. Let me read another section of what Moses said on the same topic just in the next uh, chapter. Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. You can pull it up in your Bible. It's on the next page, I think 152. Too long to put up here. It's a little bit longer, so stay focused as as we listen into this. Deuteronomy 8 1. The whole commandment that I command you today... You shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hill you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This second section is similar to the first one, but a little bit different. The first one talked about how in the wilderness they were tempted to distrust God because of their thirst. This one has to do with their hunger, had to do with that time when they didn't have any bread, and God provided that, what's it called, bread called manna. And so it's slightly different. A couple words in here have been particularly meaningful for me as I've been walking through trials of late, and I want to point them out to you. I'll reread them. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. Know then in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. I've been needing this reminder of late in my life, as I've been journeying through various trials, various wildernesses. How about you? Are you being tested in a wilderness currently? Are you still experiencing the same trial you were last time we talked about this? I don't know about you, but I needed to be reminded of God's heart in trials lately. I needed to be reminded that he humbles us and he lets us hunger. Sometimes he doesn't meet our need immediately. But his heart is good. And in time, he is going to meet our need. He'll either provide manna in the wilderness or one day he'll provide us a feast in the promised land. But either way, his heart is good. Currently, you and I, we're being lovingly trained, we're being disciplined. Not necessarily punishment for wrongdoing, but we're being trained. God is using hardship as trials in our lives, he wants to make our hearts more tender. He wants to make our hearts feast more and more on His Word. He wants to increase our desire to obey Him. And if you'd like to go deeper in studying this, if this is resonating with you, I encourage you to check out Hebrews 12, and it alludes to this very last verse um, as it talks about God disciplining us and growing us through trials. Well, enough with the first threat. Let's move on to Moses' second threat. We've gone through the wilderness temptation, and now we're going to discover that the abundant blessing of the promised land itself could actually be a threat for love of God. Ironically, does that surprise you? Let's look at Moses' warning about the second threat, Deuteronomy 8.11. It's on that next page, page 153. Moses said, take care And the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord made to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Let me draw out the part that stood out to me out of that long section. When he said this, Take care lest when you've eaten you're full. Everything is multiplied in your life. Then you say, My might, my hands, my hard work, has provided me all this wealth, all this blessing, all this abundance is from me and forget the Lord. God did promise abundance in the promised land. It was part of the deal. It was the blessing that he promised to give. It was part of the motivation of working through the wilderness. You're going to get a good, blessed land. That was supposed to be the carrot at the end of the stick. And yet God wanted them to have this blessing of food and flocks and silver and gold And yet, their sinful hearts turned it toward themselves, and the sinful hearts got tricked into instead of God being the provider, they elevated themselves, their their work, their their ingenuity, all their labor, and they loved their possessions more than God. And they failed in the great commandment; they failed to love Him supremely. They loved their possessions more. Jesus knew what he was saying when he said this. You'll recognize this. You cannot serve God and money. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Possessions and wealth, while not inherently sin or wrong, they do have the ability to influence our hearts if we're not careful they are one of those things, more than anything else, that can sway us away from worshiping God with all our hearts. And so, in a, a fluent culture like we're in, I feel like I must ask us, as people who are prone to boast in the American dream and all that we've done, is your heart being steered more by your money and your possessions, or being steered more by your love for God? Which one's at the steering wheel? Is money first and God second? Or is God on the throne and money is the servant of God to do what he wishes? I shared this quote uh, recently at a gathering with leaders from Susanna Wesley, mother to John Wesley, who started the Methodist movement. She wrote this in a letter to him as he was wrestling as a young man with how to grow in his love for God. And she gave a quote this uh, in a letter to him to remind him that even good things, blessings that God gives us, can distract us at times. If we're not careful, if we put them in the wrong place, if we have dis- ordered desires, then we too can commit idolatry. She gave this advice to her son. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of body over mind, that thing is sin to you however innocent it may seem in itself. And so let's be careful with things that are good. They are blessings that we don't allow them to steer us away from an all-out love for God and end up in a place of idolatry. So we've unpacked the great commandment and we've noticed two threats That can get in the way. Our wilderness trials and the abundance that God even blesses us with. But when it comes to this great commandment, just like that generation, we too fail in this pretty epically. What do we do when we realize that we've blown it? What do we do when we want to love God supremely, but our desires fail us? What do we do when we don't do the good we want to do, but the evil we do not want to do? We keep on doing that. What do we do when we're stuck? And so we're going to see that the true remedy for failing lovers of God is one word. Remember. Remember, remember. The remedy is to remember. Out of all of the, the uh, Torah, the first five books, The words remember and don't forget show up astronomically in this sermon right here. It's like the most dense time of remembering and not forgetting that you can find in this section. I think in Deuteronomy, don't forget shows up eight times and remember shows up 14 times. In our section here, remember shows up three times in Deuteronomy 6 through 8. Remember, remember, remember. Here it is. When your son asks you in time, what is the meaning of the rules the Lord your God has commanded you? You shall say, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And if you say, how can I dispossess them, the people of the promised land? You shall not be afraid, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. What should they do when they're afraid, when they're struggling with doubts? Remember the Lord, remember his salvation. Here's another one for when we're in the wilderness. You shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He humbled you and let you hunger and he fed you with manna that you did not know so that you would know that every word comes from the mouth of the Lord. Remember the whole way the Lord led you in the wilderness. Remember his purposes, remember his heart. He's not cruel. He's not mean in our trials. He has a good purpose and he's going to lead it to blessing. One more remember, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping these commandments. Lest when you have eaten, you're full. You have built good houses. You live in them. Everything multiplies. You forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall remember the Lord your God. So clearly, the Lord commanded Israel to remember. Remember his deliverance, remember his ways, remember his heart. Did Israel utilize the true remedy? After a long speech from Moses, we arrive at the end of Deuteronomy. Moses has pleaded with them for hours. It was a pretty long sermon. He had pleaded with them that they would love God, that their children would love God. They wouldn't forsake God. But already God knows that they have rebellion in their heart. This generation is no different. And he even bluntly tells it to Moses in Deuteronomy 31. This is a paraphrase. Moses, you're about to die. And after this, the people are going to adulterously worship idols. Uh, Good speech, by the way. They're still going to forsake me. They're going to break covenant. And so God gave Moses a song. God gave Moses a song. It was supposed to be a witness to the people in the future. When they had recognized that they had failed, when they realized that they had not obeyed God with all their heart, and bad things are happening in their life, this song was supposed to come back to them. It's Deuteronomy 32. And the purpose of of the song was to provide comfort for them when they realized that they were failures. They were to remember this song, passing it on to generation after generation. And so Joshua's, through Joshua's leadership, they courageously took that land and they got the big houses and the multiplied flocks and the silver and the gold. But the rest of the history is marked by a mixture of wilderness tests and abundance tests that they failed. From the abundance of the Joshua promised land conquest to the height, the zenith of Solomon's reign with all of its money, to the wilderness trial of being in exile in Babylon and other places, the people continued to fail at loving God with all their heart. After all this failure, there arose a prophet like Moses, one whose life sang the song of comfort of failures from of old. Jesus of Nazareth taught the great commandment, but even more importantly, Jesus obeyed the great commandment. Always, every moment. Something no human had previously done, he fulfilled the entire law of Moses. He was tested with wilderness temptations as well, and he resisted them by quoting the very passage we studied today, Deuteronomy 6 through 8 and other passages. Obeying and loving God when he was offered abundant blessing, provisions, kingdoms in exchange for bowing down to Satan. Jesus refused idolatry. Instead, he had in mind a greater Exodus deliverance, a greater Passover In which through his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection, he would offer us the following. Through that greater exodus, Jesus wanted to offer us freedom from our slavery to sin. Freedom from the ruthless slave master, Satan himself. A new heart with God's law written upon it, inclined to do what he commands A covenant not of works, but a covenant of grace based on His finished work. A free gift of relationship, not just for a generation, but for eternity. An invitation to love God because He first loved us. Complete forgiveness for all the times we've loved idols more than Him. And the invitation to follow Him into a new promised land conquest. The Great Commission. Inviting others, not killing others for their sin, not conquering evil people, but instead offering life to evil people like us who don't deserve to be near to God. Surprisingly, the true remedy for failing lovers of God like us is to remember. This offer is only available for those who acknowledge that they're failures. God only offers this to people who say, I'm a mess and I failed. I'm an idolater. Anyone who remembers this good news, anyone who believes this will experience the realities of a new heart in this greater exodus. Who here today wants to receive this good news for the very first time? Who's ready to cross that line? Who wants to receive this love of God that will satisfy you more than any silver or gold that you've ever experienced or any other relationship in your life. Today, God's at work. He's working on your heart. He's knocking on it. He wants to come in, and He wants to fellowship with you. He wants you to know Him, and He wants to know you. And so if you sense that God is knocking on your heart, I encourage you, respond today. Today, if you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, don't harden your hearts, but open your heart to Him, and experience a new life and a new eternity. If you're wondering what that looks like, I encourage you, talk with the person next to you or talk to me after the service and let today be the day of salvation. For those of us who have previously received this good news, we're like the wilderness generation. We're failing at our love for God. This week, we failed so many times. And so what does God call us to do? Remember. Or as Aslan says, remember, remember, remember. What are we to remember? The Torah? The Exodus? Yes, in part, but much more, as in the new covenant, we are called to remember the gospel, the good news I've been sharing right now. Regarding this topic, I appreciate words from reformer Martin Luther. These are from over 500 years ago, and he's talking about what we should remember and what we should emphasize with the law and the gospel. I'll paraphrase what he said. The law is divine and holy and glorious, teaching me I ought to love God and neighbor. Nonetheless, the law does not justify me, nor does it deliver me from sin, the devil, death, and hell. Here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel which teacheth me not what I ought to do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me. Namely, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel and the principal article of all Christian doctrine. And he finishes with this rather pithy sentence. Most necessary it is that we know the gospel well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. (laughs) There's Martin Luther for you. He... Wasn't one to mince his words. <laughs> Beloved, we must be diligent in this. All of us have gospel amnesia. We're, we're so prone to forget it. And when we forget it, we are setting ourselves up for hopelessness, for a lack of power in our lives. As we face wilderness trials, as we face the temptation of abundance, let's be people who ongoingly love God with all that we've got, with all of our hearts, And the only way we can do that is with the fuel of the gospel. We need to be renewed in our minds so that it's not just words, but it hits our hearts and ignites them. It helps us through our trials. It helps us avoid idolatry. And so, what are ways we can help one another remember this gospel word? I want you to actually think about that and not just have it roll over your head, but this week, I want you to talk with people around you, your family or friends or small group. What can we do to help one another remember this gospel word? I encourage you not to beat one another's heads, but I encourage you to get the gospel in one another's heads, shall we? All right, the first way we're going to remember this is by taking communion together, the very best way to remember the Lord Jesus. So band, I invite you guys to come on up. Maybe you'll remember how the Apostle Paul described what it is that we're just about to do as we take the bread and the cup together. He said this in 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so what we're doing today is we are remembering. We are freshly bringing to our mind the reality of what Jesus has done for failing lovers of God like us. We're remembering that his body was broken for us, that his blood was poured out, that his sacrificial death on the cross means that we can be right with God, that we can be new creations, and that we can enter into the promised land of eternity. And so what I want for you to do is I want you to think on that theme of remembering. Maybe start by, in your own mind, this is silently you and the Lord. I'll give you a minute. Just acknowledge silently the ways that you need him, the ways that you've messed up, the ways that you've been idolatrous. And then I'm gonna give you a cue and I want you just to huddle up with people near you and I want you to remember the gospel. I call this popcorn style. You might know that or you might not know what that means. That means you say a relatively short prayer and you keep going around the circle. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Lord Jesus, um, thank you so much that we are saved by grace and not by works. That's how short it is. And you just keep going around. Don't stop until you hear my voice. I want you to keep hearing the gospel from one another. That's the popcorn, right? Uh, and they'll come up and I'll give us a cue and together we'll take the bread and the cup. Uh, if you happen to need a gluten-free option, you might have already done it, uh, just raise your hand and we have a few ushers they are gonna get that to you. Um, if you just need the normal, then just re- reach in front of you and you can use that. And if you haven't yet made that decision where you've crossed the line to say, yes, I'm, I'm giving my allegiance and my love to Jesus Christ, then this wouldn't be appropriate for you. And so you can just sit back and watch and we can talk more after the service about what this means. So let me uh, give you that first minute just for you to acknowledge where you're at with the Lord and where you failed and then wait for my cue and we're going to start that popcorn thing, okay? Okay. We're going to transition now, a little group around you, short thanksgivings to God for the gospel. All right, if I could please have your attention. I want you to please um, take the bread. Let's together take the bread in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. Together, let's take the cup in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, we do thank you for this good news. It is such good news. No matter what happens today in our lives or in the news, we have a hopeful ending. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.